Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture reading today is 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. May 21st, Ascension Day, the Church was reminded of the beginning of the end of the world. The world began to end on the day that Jesus Christ our Lord ascended into heaven. However permanent this world may seem, however impossible it may appear to resist the powers of evil around us, the last days of the world are bracketed by the ascension of Jesus Christ on the one hand and by his return, his second coming, on the other hand. Really, there are only two great lofty peaks in the topographical map of human history. The first coming of Christ in his incarnation to die on the cross for our sins, and the second coming of Christ to end the human story and bring mankind to judgment. The time of the end leading toward the second coming began on the day of ascension. Now, what does this mean? It means that those of us who have believed upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have been given the promise of our own entry into the presence of God in our resurrected bodies by God's power. We are following Jesus in his ascension into heaven. Our chief business, therefore, is to live out in our daily experience the profession of our faith in Christ crucified and resurrected. We are not to waver or hold back in witnessing to this faith. Our goal and aim as believers is to proclaim the wonderful message of the gospel to others. That is our mission. It has always been the Church's mission from the day of ascension forwards and will continue to be our mission until the day of the second coming of the Lord. Now, here in our text in 1 Peter chapter 4, we have a letter which is written to Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor. Hostility and persecution are mounting against the believers, not unlike the persecution experienced by our Christian brothers and sisters in the Middle East and Africa today. Even as we worship here, 
terrorists are robbing churches, kidnapping, raping and killing women, and executing men simply because they are Christians. Jesus warned his disciples in John chapter 15 that they would be hated and persecuted for following him. Although historically Christians have known religious freedom in the West, followers of Jesus Christ have always faced persecution and martyrdom in other countries around the world. Today we witness a sharp increase in Christian persecution and martyrdom due to evil men under the influence of ISIS. In writing his epistle, Peter is concerned to teach us as followers of Jesus Christ in difficult times how to live a godly life of devotion and service to the Lord. He says in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Now, what does Peter mean by these words? Peter isn't speaking chronologically, but theologically. He doesn't expect that Christ would return in a few weeks or months. He means, rather, that all the major events in God's plan of salvation, the incarnation, the death of Christ, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, and the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost had already happened. Therefore, Christ's second return could happen at any time. It was at hand. It was at hand in Peter's day, and it is still at hand in our own day. Because the end is at hand and fast approaching, how should the Christian live? With what should our minds be preoccupied? What is our goal and focus? Peter's answer is startling to modern people. He doesn't tell us to go out and save the world. He doesn't tell us to boycott certain stores because they don't agree with our Christian values. He doesn't tell us to wring our hands and lament over all the evil around us. Peter is very specific. He says that the goal and focus of the Christian life is prayer, out of which will flow purposeful and kingdom-oriented activity. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now let's look at both the idea of being sober and the idea of prayer. The original Greek word for sober means more than sober from alcohol or drugs. It means to be in one's right mind, to be in control of oneself. It's the word used to describe the restored demoniac in Mark chapter 5. Once Jesus cast the demon from the man, he became calm and in his right mind. The word sober carries the idea of maintaining sobriety of mind, tranquility, calmness. We are not to be intoxicated in either body or mind, but possess ourselves with self-control, self-command, and restraint. We can't practice self-control and self-command unless we think steadily of God, of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and of Christ's second coming. And how do we maintain this self-control? By what we allow into our minds and by what we prevent from entering into our minds. Listen, beloved, in the light of this planned pandemic, 
that has been unleashed around the world and the avalanche of fake news all around us, it is becoming more and more important to train ourselves to ignore all false news that we hear from the world around us. More than ever before, we must keep our focus on God and not allow the world to distract us. This isn't easy because everything we see and hear is designed to divert and deceive us. There is so much disinformation, so much deception and falsehood and lies that you must do what John Bunyan did in Pilgrim's Progress. You must put your fingers in your ears and run with all your might toward the truth of Christ and his kingdom. It's so easy to become angry, to get all stirred up about all the evil that's going on in the world. But anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. When we're angry and stirred up, we can't pray. We need to remember that the forces of this world are set against Christ and his church. The Roman Empire was against Christ and his church in Peter's day. Believers were being persecuted in Peter's day. Why do we expect it to be any different in the 21st century? Be sober, be self-controlled is the first part of the text. Watch unto prayer is the second part. What is watching unto prayer? Watching unto prayer is to be alert and sober-minded, self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. Not swept away by emotions, not distracted by worldly passions or fake news, but calm, stable, knowing that Christ is coming. Prayer is the call of God to our hearts and the response of our hearts back to God. Prayer is bringing our lives into God's presence so that he can continually make all things new. It is the resting of our hearts in loving communion with our Maker. Prayer is absolutely fundamental to the Christian life. Through prayer, we begin our faith in Jesus. The Gospel says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How does this Gospel message become real in our hearts and minds? Through prayer. By prayer, we believe upon Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. By prayer, we are baptized into union with Christ's death and resurrection. By prayer, we receive the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that God may express his life through us. By prayer, we receive the Holy Communion of Christ's body and blood to be nourished in our faith. Prayer is everything. Prayer is the God-ordained means for us to continue in the path of the Christian life. It is the vital lifeline between earth and heaven. St. John Chrysostom said, Prayer is the slender nerve which moves the muscles of omnipotence. Prayer introduces us to faith in God, and prayer sustains continued faith in God. 
Now, if prayer is so vitally important to Christian experience, we need to know what it is and what it is not. What is prayer? It is not simply a laundry list of requests that we bring again and again into the presence of God. Bringing our requests to God is important, but that's not the essence of prayer. Prayer is the whole being of man, intellect, emotion, will, and spirit entering into fellowship and union with the Lord of all. Prayer is not primarily an exercise of the feelings and emotions. It is an act of the will by which we lay hold upon God by faith and secure his presence and blessing in our lives. Prayer is not accomplished by forming study circles about prayer, discussing prayer, or reading books on prayer, as helpful as these things may be. It is a discipline coextensive with life itself. A godly devotional author from the last century, Emily Herman, writes, Prayer is, in the last resort, worth exactly as much or as little as the man behind the prayer. If the man who prays has an obstinate, prejudiced, undisciplined mind, his prayer will suffer from the same defects. If his desires are limited, gross, and ill-guided, so will his prayer be. To pray to be made wise is the merest superstition unless we bring to our prayer the kind of soul that is capable of acquiring wisdom. We are responsible not only for our prayers, but for providing the background against which prayer can energize. It is not too much indeed to say that for every thought we give to prayer itself, excepting of course the actual practice of prayer, which is vital at every state, we should give 10 to the life behind the prayer. Prayer is not trying with all our might to persuade God to do things for us, it is a joyful act by which we devote, commit, and consecrate ourselves wholly to God and to His will. I am totally yours is the heart cry of prayer. This is the yearning of the dedicated follower of Jesus. Do with me whatever you desire, O Lord. listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him.
let's continue our lesson. Ultimately, prayer is essentially living and breathing in the atmosphere of God. It is being conscious of His presence and turning to Him at every moment. It is the soul's loving friendship with God. It is referring all things, even the smallest actions, to God out of love for Him. When we go outside and smell the beauty of a rose, our minds thank God for that beauty. When we see the glory of a sunset or a sunrise, we give Him praise because He is such a magnificent Creator. P.T. Forsyth, the Scottish theologian and pastor, says, Every man's life is in some sense a continual state of prayer. For what is his life's prayer but its ruling passion? If you are not praying toward the true God, you are praying toward something else. The man whose passion is habitually set upon pleasure, power, wealth, or fame is in a state of prayer to these things. He prays without ceasing. These are his real gods on whom he waits day and night. He may from time to time go on his knees in church and use words of Christian address and petition. He may even feel religious feelings in so doing. But it is a flicker. The other devotion is his steady flame. His real God is the ruling passion and steady pursuit of his life taken as a whole. Every life that is not totally inert is praying either to God or to God's adversary. These are strong words, beloved, but I think Forsyth is making an important point. If prayer is so vitally important to Christian experience, what suggestions are there to help us develop the art of prayer? First, choose a time and a place and keep at it. I know some people who have built a chapel into their homes when they design their building plans. That way there's a special room where you go to pray. Other people designate a room or a corner of a room for the practice of prayer. There are many useful aids to prayer for us to use. There is the common book of prayer, the liturgy of the hours, or collections of prayers from the past. There are beautiful icons from the Orthodox as aids to prayer. The book of Psalms is largely a collection of earnest prayers from the heart. We can write our own prayers as we meditate or reflect. Some people walk around while they pray. Others kneel by their bedside. Still others stand and bow. Whatever helps you, whatever draws you close to God's presence in your prayer time, use it. But above all else, choose a time and a place and keep at it. We don't neglect to feed ourselves physically, do we? So we ought not neglect to commune with God spiritually through prayer. Will you encounter difficulty in prayer? Absolutely yes. Most certainly we will encounter challenges and difficulties as we pray. At times our prayers will seem self-conscious. At times our prayers will appear to bounce off the ceiling and go nowhere. Sometimes our thoughts will run wild like untamed animals. 
At other times, your mind will drift to your to-do list and you will get distracted and turned away from prayer. Never mind. Semper Fidelis, choose a time and a place to pray and then just do it. Second, practice control of the tongue. Someone said our prayers are thin and perfunctory in proportion as our tongues are glib and gratuitously communicative. The more control we exercise over our speaking, the deeper, more thoughtful and genuine will be our prayers. Many people have trouble practicing the art of silence. It is a good habit to spend time in silence each day, not talking, not on our phone or computer, but simply sitting quietly in silence and letting God speak to us. Third, practice the discipline of detachment. When we let go of attachment to material things and possessions, we experience greater spiritual enlargement within. The temporary is exchanged for the permanent. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, thou fount of life, thou light of men, from the best bliss that earth imparts, we turn unfilled to thee again. In detachment, we learn that the here and now cannot ultimately satisfy us. We learn that a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. Therefore, we turn our minds and hearts to the true source of happiness. Prayer keeps us rightly ordered internally. As we turn our minds in prayer to God, we discover that possession, status, and power become less and less important. What does become attractive is living in God's kingdom and enjoying the good of his presence day by day. We are likewise to keep watch through prayer for the second coming eagerly awaiting his appearing. Do you eagerly await the second coming of Christ? The verb eagerly await is used of a man scanning the horizon, looking carefully for what is coming. Do you scan the horizon, looking and searching for Jesus with longing and expectation? Beloved, when all is said and done, the reason for prayer is that we must pray if we are to do God's will, for prayer puts us into partnership with God. Prayer is vital at every turning, for nothing good is accomplished without prayer. Jesus said in Luke 18.1 that men everywhere ought to pray and never give up. It is the very heart of the Christian life that we do not live by our own will, but by another will, the will of our Father in heaven. Therefore, we must pray. Now, one final thing in our passage. Verse 8 says, Above all, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. One of the wonderful benefits of prayer is that it keeps us connected to God, who is the source of love himself. Therefore, the more prayerful we are, the more loving we will be. The end of all things is at hand. Will you commit yourself to prayer? Purposeful, intentional prayer. E.M. Bounds says what the church needs today is not new organization or better methods, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use, men and women of prayer, mighty in prayer. 
William Law from the last century says, it is not the arithmetic of our prayers, how many they are, nor the rhetoric of our prayers, how eloquent they are, nor the geometry of our prayers, how long they are, nor the music of our prayers, how sweet our voice may be, nor the logic of our prayers, how argumentative they may be, nor the method of our prayers, how orderly they may be, which God cares about. Fervency of spirit is the only thing that brings great result. Beloved, let's recommit ourselves to the real priority of real prayer, earnest, fervent prayer to God. Imagine all that God desires to do for you in your personal life, in your family, in your church, in your community, if only you will take the time to pray. Pray, dear ones. Pray as though your very life depends upon it. Amen. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? 
The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.